Now I'll direct your attention to the Word of God, to Revelation chapter 4. We have a guest preacher this Sunday in the other two services, and um, he has selected as a text Revelation 4 and 5, which is a pretty healthy chunk. I'm going to read just Revelation 4 in your hearing this morning. This, of course, is John the Revelator. This is one of the many visions that God gave him there on the Isle of Patmos. The Bible says he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. I wish we could all be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. It is the day the Lord has made. And this is what he saw. And after this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature was like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and are and were created. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is Palm Sunday. And we read the account a few moments ago of the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. It happened upon the first day of the week, following the Sabbath. It was exactly one week before Jesus was to be raised from the dead. More detail about that entry is given in the other Gospels, especially the Gospel of Matthew. And one of the interesting things there is it tells the story of Jesus sending his disciples in to find an animal upon which Jesus would ride. As far as we know, this is the only event 
in the life and ministry of Jesus that was staged, that he set up the theatrics in order to demonstrate something. The other events of Christ's life seemed to occur spontaneously as he would go about, as he would teach and preach and heal. Dramatic though they may be, they were part of the flow. But this was intentional. Jesus deliberately told them what he wanted and how he wanted it to go. And this triumphal entry was along these lines. Jesus instructed them to find a mule, the foal of a horse and an ass, a donkey. And the reason Jesus instructed them to do that is he was going to demonstrate in no uncertain terms who he was. In the ancient world, all of the kings, it's mentioned several times in the Old Testament that the sons of King David rode upon great white mules. And when Solomon, David's son, was selected to be his successor and the king of Israel, he was placed upon David's great white mule. The triumphal entry is always when a king goes forth to conquer and then when he returns back to the city he enters through the primary gate and the crowds receive him there with laud and honor and songs and bands playing and choir singing and people giving their utmost adulation to the king for what he has done what he has accomplished the Caesars would return to Rome riding upon a great white steed, a horse, to show their valiance and their victory. Jesus knew what he was doing. He was presenting theater, a pageant. He was showing the people who he was. But he was not riding upon a great white mule. He was riding upon the small foal. This was to fulfill the Zechariah prophecy that said, your king is humble. Your king is lowly. Your king is riding upon the small white animal. Why? Because the king's victory had not been completed yet. He was still in his humility. He was still in the humility of his incarnation where the Bible says he had left the splendor of glory to come into the human condition. And his humiliation was that he humbled himself and became human in the form and fashion of humanity. He took upon himself our likeness that he might accomplish a victory, but the victory wasn't complete yet. It was prophetic, his ride into Jerusalem. It was demonstrative. It was predictive. 
It would be only one week, a very eventful week at that, but only one week before they would see him raised from the dead. Palm Sunday speaks of the humiliation and the humility and the incarnation and the suffering and the lowliness and the bearing of the shame and reproach of his people. Easter Sunday, one week later, demonstrates his power, his glory, his majesty, his victory that he has won for his people. Now what we see in the passage that we just looked at in chapter 4 of Revelation is one of several passages in the Bible that depict a scene that is the throne room of God Almighty. Every few hundred years, God gave someone a glimpse in a vision of that throne room. Isaiah 6, Isaiah in the temple saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw these four living creatures. He saw the eyes all around that they see, the all-seeing omniscience, the ministering spirits. He saw God in His majesty. It's interesting that the visions always are similar, but a little different. Different perspective, different position. Isaiah, all he could see was the floor where the train filled the temple and God was high and lifted up and, and the angels and all of the seraphim would hold their gaze low because Isaiah had been smitten with the guilt of his sin and there before the altar of God in the temple, God gave him this vision of the Lord God. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of His glory, is what he heard the creature singing. Run off a couple of centuries. In a strange land, not in Jerusalem, not in the temple, in a strange land, Babylon, by the canal Kibar in a refugee settlement. The displaced and defeated people of God hung their harps upon the willow tree because they could not sing the songs of Zion in a strange land. In doubt and in depression and in discouragement and for all they knew it was over, God gave the prophet Ezekiel a vision. Ezekiel chapter 1, he sees a very similar thing. God gives him a vision of the throne room, the great throne room of the Almighty, depicted often as a royal throne, but also a priestly throne. You remember in ancient Israel, God's throne was the Ark of the Covenant, and it was mobile. It moved from place to place in the tabernacle in the wilderness. 
They would set it up here, then they would move it over there. And finally, when they got to the promised land, the ark was put in several places and finally brought to Jerusalem by King David. There's a sense in which the throne of God moves, and so it's on wheels. And it's, it has the picture of being a chariot throne. And it's very similar. Ezekiel sees the vision and there's these creatures, these four living creatures. There's, there's the host, thousands of thousands of people are, are of spirits ministering, calling out before the Lord. There is the picture of the Almighty God. There is a picture of multiple servants and the prayers that are being offered. There's also the picture of books being opened, symbolizing that it was not just a place of priestly worship, but it was a place of judgment. There were record books. And these books were opened. And in these books were recorded things that were important for justice to be administered. Just like in our own courts today, we have record of everything. We have the code, the law, the books. We have all of the, the laws written. We have the evidentiary statements. We have everything we need to conduct jurisprudence. And that's what Ezekiel saw. Around about the same period of time in the courtroom of that foreign occupying power, God gives the vision again. And I want to read this one because it is tremendously uh, informative and it is probably the background to the vision that we saw in Revelation. And it is found in the book of Daniel chapter 7 and it's quite a few things there. We see the, the picture of all the, uh, uh, the beast or the creatures and a vivid description is given to them and some things that happen. But I want to pick up in, in, in uh, Daniel 7, verse 9. And as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning like fire. A stream of fire issued that came out from before him, and thousands... Thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him and the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. You get the picture? By the way, King Solomon sat on a throne. It was made of pure ivory, a great white throne. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him, that is to the son of man, this second person of the divine essence and to him was given dominion dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed.
This is a picture of Christ. The pre-incarnate Christ. In His proper place. In heaven. With the Father. Before the incarnation. Before His coming to us. Before His work of salvation was accomplished on earth. You see, over and over, the Old Testament is filled with this kingly language, this throne room language. There's a passage in the Psalms are filled with them where the Lord said to my Lord, the Lord God Almighty, the Father said to the only begotten Son, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That's language that was used in the coronation ceremonies in ancient Israel. Every time a king was crowned and enthroned. The Lord said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is where Christ abides. This is where Christ abode before His days on earth. This is the splendor and the glory and the power that He surrendered and gave up to come and to live in our circumstance and take our place in the great covenants. Oh, it's interesting. Did you notice in the reading of the passage that there's a, an array around the throne like a rainbow? Reminiscent of the great covenant that God made with Noah. Where God told Noah of his salvation of the human race. That as Noah had built an ark and covered it with pitch. Jesus would be an ark covered with humanity. I'll bet you man... Mankind in his sin is probably no more attractive than a big old boat covered in tar. But Christ came to be that ark and to be that Savior. And that's what we have over and over God promised. He promised King David that there would never, well before that he promised Judah that the scepter would never depart from Judah. This was before they had a king. This was when Judah was nothing but a scruffy little tribe barely getting out of the wilderness, hungering and thirsting for a drink of water. Still in Egypt's land, with, with the soul in captivity. The patriarchs died in Egypt. But God promised a restoration. He said that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. He said the rod, the ruling rod, would never leave its place. That is, between the knees of the king. The rod, as the king sits down, the rod comes down before his knees. And there is the symbol of great power. And it's told to be a rod of iron. It is to be a submitting rod, a judging rod, a ruling rod, a rod of justice. 
And that's what Jesus is depicting on Palm Sunday. He's giving a little glimpse, just like these visions in the Old Testament are, are not complete, they're vague, but God gives demonstration. And in Christ riding in, he was demonstrating that he was the son of David. He was the king of Israel. He was the fulfillment of that promise that God had made to Noah and to Adam before that and to Abraham and all of those covenants that God made. Jesus was the fulfillment of those covenants. And here he rides in on this little mule demonstrating his humility but coming soon his power it is interesting to me that when Peter preached on Pentecost he refers to the resurrection of Christ in terms of coronation language crowning him king in terms of enthronement language that is Christ being enthroned in heaven with the Father at the right hand, the place of power and being given dominion. But all of this has now been fulfilled. The Ancient of Days, the Son of Man. Listen, if you would, to the next chapter of Revelation. Chapter and I want you to listen for one word and one word only the word lamb lamb you see we, we, we read a moment ago about all the thunder and the lightning and the rumblings and the roar and the sharp piercing voice and the flashes of lightning they didn't have audiovisual tectronics in those days this is the way God gave his people the vision there were no great light shows and sound shows but instead he gave them an auditory and a visual glimpse of the majesty and the power of his glory listen to the way chapter 5 goes and then I saw in the right hand whom, of him who was seated on the throne. We know that from these previous passages. That's the Ancient of Days. That's the Lord God Almighty. That's the Father. Seated on the throne and a scroll written within on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I straw, saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break it? So the scroll, the books, we've read about that already. We've seen that vision. But no one in heaven or on earth and under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Notice he didn't say no one capable. He said no one worthy. No one is worthy to open the books and pass judgment but Christ. All judgment has been committed to the Son. The throne room of God, the judgment place of God is the person of Christ. That's where the judgment is. That's where God rendered the judgment when he smote him on the cross for the sins of the world, our sins. Christ in his person is the judgment upon all humanity. And he's the only one that can render the verdict. 
And I began to weep and to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because there was no one found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. There's Christ on David's great white mule. There's Christ on the great white steed of the governments of the world. There is Christ on the great white throne of King Solomon. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. I thought it was, it was said that a lion was one that could open the scrolls. But I saw a lamb. Not a lion, I saw a lamb. Standing. That's resurrection. Anastasis raised up. I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain. Here was a lamb with nail scars in his hand with a riven side and a lacerated back and a punctured scalp. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who seated on the throne and he laid the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp. Oh, they couldn't play those harps back there by the river Kibar in Babylon that hung them on the willow tree but now the elders have taken the harps down off the willow tree and now's the time to play the harps because the lamb has conquered each holding a harp and seven bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song they couldn't sing the songs of Zion in a strange land. But now they're not in a strange land. They're home. They're in heaven. They're in the presence of God. The victory has been won. And now the great celebration is taking place. The worship of the Lord. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. The whole wide world's population has been reached with the gospel. Believers, saints, ransomed people, and you've made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels Daniel's already told us it was thousands times ten thousands times thousands. It's an innumerable force. It's interesting how the, the infinite God likes to get things that are innumerable. How many cells are in your body? Count them. <laughs> how many stars are in the heaven? Count them. How many uh, grains of sand are there in the desert, in the seashores? Count them. You can't count them. Count the angels. You can't count them. I'm sure there's a finite number, but an infinite God loves to express His infinity with countlessness. 
voice of many angels, numbering myriads of angels and thousands of thousands, crying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Got them all in there this time. Sometimes two great attributes are, are ascribed. Sometimes four. This time it's all of them. It's six. And I heard every, every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea. Who did we leave out? Heaven, earth, under the earth, and in the sea. I think we covered the geography of creation. Every creature. And all saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, the Ancient of Days, and the Lamb, the Son of Man, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And here's the Amen corner. You've heard all about these four creatures. You ought, to, you ought to read the descriptions. It's different in all of the visions. It's different in Daniel than it is in Ezekiel. No, but there's this incredible description. But one thing they all of a sudden become, the four living creatures become the Amen corner of heaven. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders... Are there any elders in the house? The elders of the church, the elders of the people of God, the patriarchs, the apostles, and all of those since representing and praying for, holding the bowls of incense, the people of God. What did the elders do? The angels are singing a new song. The four creatures are saying, amen, 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 amen. <laughs> and what are the elders doing? They fell down and they worshiped. That's what we ought to do.